0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. We've got an exciting Manchester derby to dissect, Uh, no only joking, the nil-nil draw with Man City obviously is the one we're going to dissect on today's podcast. Also though, we'll talk about Paul Pogba's future, we'll talk about United's Europa League draw and look ahead to the game against Sheffield United as the festive period really kicks into gear. Um, I'm joined by Samuel Lucker. Samuel is your... Christmas tree up are you are you getting in the festive spirit
1: yes that, that, that was uh, I think just just watching the the lights go on and off the Christmas tree uh, was was more is more interesting than anything that happened in the derby <laughs> on on Saturday.
0: Yeah, absolutely yes we will let's talk briefly then about the game itself. Probably the fallout probably is more interesting, but it was a, a handbrake on approach from both Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Pep Guardiola. Both teams seemingly happy with a a nil-nil draw. Maybe what was most interesting, uh, Samuel, was Solskjaer's comment after the game, saying he thought it was the best performance against Man City in his time in charge. Did you go along with that? If you think about the, the performance that the Eti had last season, I would disagree personally. But what did you think?
1: I think the majority would would disagree as well. Uh, he, he did clarify that comment or was asked to clarify that comment on the Zoom call and referred to them having more control and and City showing them uh, more respect, which, which they did. I think Guardiola has this tendency that when he's been bested by a team, he then praises them to high heaven and effectively overrates them. I mean, I thought that result of the weekend was was worse for City than it was for United. It was interesting that City lined up with two holding midfielders in Fernandinho and Rodri. Um, I was sat in the same row as uh, our colleague at the MN side by and and he was convinced going into the derby that it would be a midfield of De Bruyne, Rodri and, and Gundogan but Fernandinho obviously came back in and played well but he was—he was pretty superfluous, and it was strange during the second half that where United had expended quite a lot of energy in the first with um, their high line and pressing and some some general intense bursts of, of play, they they clearly were tiring and they were becoming more withdrawn. They were becoming deeper, and I, I turned to and said, "If if City make a couple of changes here, um, they they should win this." And of course, they only made one change and United only made one change. And really, the, the most heated it got uh, on Derby Day was about an hour and a half after full time when one of the Jobsworth stewards was having a, a quarrel with, with a colleague over trying to eject us from the stadium. It, it, it really said it all The the first booking was in the 79th minute and the recipient, Harry Maguire, was captured at the end um, you know, having a man hug with, with John Stones, which went down as badly as you'd imagine it would, with a lot of supporters from various ge- from various, various generations. But I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to be born ten years ago or be a millennial to look at that and you know just despair at it because uh, it, it did. It was kind of in keeping with the whole hollow occasion of a derby without supporters. It was, it, it's the worst derby there's ever been. I think it's fair to say it's probably the worst that my father was saying that his father had would have seen or whatever. It's that There have been nil-nils in recent years, but there was, there was Fellaini headbutt in Aguero. There was a, a blue moon and a red flare before the November 2010 derby. Um, yeah, there was a turgid one during Van Gaal's time, but I think United should have had a penalty in it. So there, that was there was that to talk about. The one at the weekend, even you know, even VAR can cause a controversy because Rashford was offside, and uh, it really did need something. It just needed a goal. It needed Riyad Mahrez to score. When, frankly, he bottled it. Really, it was it was a brilliant counter attack. It was the only clear cut chance. Um, at full time, I saw the, the statistics said United had two attempts on target. For the life of me, I cannot remember the first one. I remember Fernandez's very, very tame effort at the end. But the other one, I just I can't recall. I've no recollection of it whatsoever.
0: No, I'm struggling too. I think it, it it was probably from far out and it didn't really trouble uh, Edison. I guess the uh, well, for me, the, the highlight of the game was Fred's pirouette turn away from uh, Kevin De Bruyne, which everyone gift up on uh, social media. That was quite enjoyable. But do you think, really, Samuel, that that game would have happened that way if fans had been present in the ground? I just think that... There's no way a full Old Trafford crowd would have allowed United to be so passive, especially when City were were clearly vulnerable and there for the taking.
1: No, and I've said this before, I think like there's in Back to the Future, they talk about the the time-space continuum and how the slightest... Alteration can change uh, that the face of history, and that's that's that does apply to, to general life. If you hear something that someone said to you in the crowd, it's you're going to change. You're going you might turn and things change completely thereafter. Just something very minor like that. So, and, and that's applied across the board. Uh, ever since uh, games restarted in June, uh, there's no way I don't think Aston Villa would have beaten Liverpool seven two. There's I, struggled to believe that Tottenham would have trounced United 6-1 and there have been other freakish results during that time as well. Not just um, not just in the Premier League, but on the continent, Germany annihilating Spain 6-0, I think it was, last month. So, uh, But the whole fans' excuse, uh, I don't think it's so much an excuse because these players have got used to it. I just think that it, it was interesting that City seemed to have undergone a an identity change in that it's not a coincidence that the last time they conceded a goal was to Mourinho's Tottenham. And it's almost as if a little bit like Mikel Arteta after Arsenal lost to Tottenham last season. He kind of... It's almost as if he, that the blueprint for winning the FA Cup semi-final in the final for Arsenal after that was in that game and the way Tottenham beat Arsenal. And now you've got Guardiola, who... It's, is is a I mean Arteta was his understudy and Guardiola is one of the most fated coaches of the last fifteen years and rightly so. But it's almost as if after that Champions League elimination to Leon and after losing twice on the trot to Mourinho, he's had an epiphany and thought, well if I want to join Ancelotti, Zidane and, and Bob Paisley in the company of three European Cups, maybe I'm going to have to pull the shutters down once in a while. And that's what he did at the weekend. But he has had that tendency in the past to overstate and overestimate a team after they've bested him. Leon did it to City in the group stages a couple of years ago, I think it was. And then obviously they beat them in, in August in the Champions League knockout stage. And City's setup was completely wrong. I think only I think it was only Guillaume Balagay who said there was nothing wrong with it, and I think everybody can can work out why he said that. And so City seem to be going through this change of identity, whereas with United it's it's not an identity crisis so so much as that confusion abounds over it. And the, the one of the reasons the club continued to back Solskjaer is that he's he's restored the identity. Well, I, I don't think he has. Last week the two games they played in their biggest week of the season. They played largely risk-aversive football. There were eight defensive players um, starting in Leipzig. Uh, Two substitutions went unused against City. They had two attempts on target against City, apparently. And they've not scored a goal from open play at Old Trafford in the league for 460 minutes, I think it is. So I don't quite see how he has restored the identity. And and, I mean, the most compelling viewing during the derby at the derby was the the debate between Richards, Keane and Neville afterwards. And what Gary Neville said about United being uh, a team of moments or counter-attacking on the Solskjaer is is absolutely right. They, Although they have periods or there's the odd game where they will control it, I'd say Southampton and Everton are examples of that. It's they, they feel almost kind of anomalous, really. It doesn't happen very often at all. And when you're approaching the two-year mark as manager and the style is still very similar to when United, when, when Solskjaer was a caretaker manager, it doesn't suggest there's been enough progress made in that time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that the way Solskjaer seems to flip between styles depending on, on the opposition. Uh, you touched on that debate between... Michael Richards, uh, Roy Keane and Gary Neville after the game at Old Trafford. Obviously, they had another big debate on Paul Pogba. He obviously has dominated the headlines all week, really, ever since those Roller comments came out before the RB Leipzig game, which obviously then saw United go out of the Champions League. Pogba um, didn't really say anything until uh, this weekend, just gone when he, he took to Instagram,
1: but it, he didn't. Maybe
0: say about what United fans would have wanted him to say about Mina Realish. We put it that way, Samuel.
1: Yeah, I mean, talk of confusion abounds. I mean, that continued with with that. Not, I don't think, from a journalistic perspective, but a lot of fans. And the the, the irony of it was that I think United pushed notification. Or certainly in their copy, they build it as uh, Pogba shows commitment to United, and it, even in their North Korea write-up of it, they did actually reference Raiola's quotes to to Tuto Sport. Yet the only commitment sh- Pogba showed on Saturday night was to Mina Raiola, um, by backing him up on Instagram over the the Build report. Um, there's there's a guy out there who who's. Um, you know, trademark, if you like, is true or not true? And he said it was true that Pogba had threatened to seek representation elsewhere if Raiola didn't get him a move. And Raiola, in quite a funny post, um, proclaimed Build as the uh, the, the champions of, of fake news. And obviously, he he posted that on his Twitter account and on his Instagram account. And then Pogba commented on the Instagram post. Uh, and I think he said, "Don't talk." And he tagged Build in it, and that is extremely unusual. I- I'm struggling to think of an elite footballer going public in digging out um, an outlet over something they've written about their agent. I, I, honest- I mean, you might remember something recently. I'm, I'm really struggling to recall it. That there-, there are times where there are exchanges between an agent and a player on social media, but not to that extent. And I mean, Pogba's statement, like he says, you know, blah blah. That was his quote. Blah blah doesn't matter. And you think, okay, well, you you can only be talking about your agent there. Um, So what's what's with that? What what you know? Are you going to tell your agent to shut up, or what is it? And a lot of United fans, and unfortunately, quite uh, just just a bit dim really in the way they look at it because. They saw that and then they saw Raiola's post and they conflated the presence and the mention of Build with Tutosport thinking that Riola had given an interview to, to Build with those comments about Pogba when he hadn't. He was actually digging out Build for a report um, that portrayed him in a very unflattering light. But a lot of United fans thought he was talking about this interview he'd given and it was, oh, he clearly didn't say all that then and it's all right, it, you know, that's it taken care of. It wasn't the case at all. So the circus continues really on that front. And well, what Michael Richards was saying on, I, I think Michael Richards is developing into a very good pundit and, and insightful and he's, he's very curious. But he talked some absolute guff about Pogba the other night when he was saying like he's been... He, he essentially said he's been sold apart, but they, they didn't they need to build a team around him. They were building a team around him. They had Ibrahimović there, who was his fellow Raiola stablemate. Mkhitaryan was there. Matic came in to free him up. Fred came in to free him up. Lukaku, his mate, came in. They did build a team around him. And it's why there are times on these punditry panels, and it's it doesn't happen so much on telly, but it does sometimes on radio, but sometimes you do need a journalist in there to actually clarify what happened because it's very different prism you're looking through compared to a former footballer and as i said the the circus continues everybody knows pogba does not want to be there and has not wanted to be there for upwards of 2 years they just need to get him out of the club as soon as possible and keen was right manchester united will survive and frankly they will be better off with pogba, without pogba but i don't i don't actually blame up until that statement on Saturday night, I didn't really see anything Pogba was doing wrong. There's nothing remotely controversial about to leave a club that have not won anything in nearly four years, who have not progressed as he would have liked. Um, he's a player who's a World Cup winner, who has harboured uh, a desire to play for Real Madrid for a long time, who likes the prospect of returning to Juventus. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever at all. I think what actually exacerbates the whole situation are these so-called United fans who back Pogba over it because no genuine United supporter can back Pogba over any of this that's going on however incompetent the club might be with the handling of it you cannot be a genuine United supporter and side with him over this whatsoever it's just it's purely impossible and I suspect those who are siding over with Pogba over it Will not be supporting Manchester United next year when Pogba is playing in Spain or in Italy or wherever.
0: No, well you get you get this culture now, don't you have fans just supporting individual players rather than teams. Exactly, especially yes. prevalent on social media, isn't it? I've never particularly understood it myself, but they, no. there you go. I guess uh, some of the reaction to that that Pogba Instagram post and was probably United fans wishing that uh, he'd said something different, that he had maybe t- taken Rayola to the task a little bit over his comments, but that wasn't going to happen, was it? Um no, no way. In terms of a departure, is it realistic to think that a January move for Pogba could happen, or is this uh, an issue that, that United are going to have to face until the end of the season? I feel like Solskjaer will either get criticism or praise for <laughs> either picking or dropping Pogba depending on on the outcome
1: of each result and if it does continue on into the summer well that was another issue of the derby at the weekend in that it was so dreary and dull and tedious that you couldn't you couldn't do pieces on some of the contentious calls De Gea started over Henderson uh but the only shot he had to face I mean he he could have he could have been chained up and uh, not not allowed to move. And I think Maris would have still hit him. Pogba started after everything that had gone on, and and played played decently. He was he was absolutely fine. But there were a lot of six out of tens in the game because th- that was how bad the game was. So um, I think it's inevitable he's he's going to start again. I don't think anything's going to change over that. I suspect when Solskjaer was asked about Pogba again on Wednesday ahead of the Sheffield United game. He will refer to Pogba's statement as if that draws a line under the matter, when it really, really doesn't. Um, I mean, the other thing about it was that United actually commented on Pogba's post with a love heart emoji, which effectively was like a public endorsement of player power. It was, it was another, it was another act of indulgence of a player who is doing his utmost to actually get out of the club. But unfortunately, there are quite a lot of people at United who value social media likes over the team actually winning trophies, but you could have a whole separate podcast on that. So <laughs> f- for now, until Pogba leaves, I think Solskjaer will try and, um, try and maximize and make the most out of him. And, and he could live or die by that, uh, given that if Pogba doesn't play well and United's form, um, falls off a cliff, then that will be cited as poor management or weak management. Um, it wasn't a surprise he started at the weekend, given that he did have a very good impact coming on against Leipzig. Uh, I suspect that because there's that trusted trio of McTominay, Fred, and Fernandes, that you know that there was always, I think, a lot of people maybe expected Pogba to start on the bench. But as I said, it wasn't a surprise he did come back into the eleven. And as for January, United did a big deal last last sorry, not last year, still this year in in Fernandes, but given the way the pandemic's going. Um, I think that a lot of clubs, if they are to take him, they're going to have to wait until the summer. Juventus have pretty much said they they would have him back, which was obvious anyway. But from what I've been told, I think in terms of the price, United would have to drop their valuation of him substantially uh, if Juventus were to afford him. And then you wonder, is it going to be, Player plus cash, and unfortunately, that's brought up all this all these Ronaldo reports, which are, uh, are probably just, <laughs> just more tedious than, um, than the game on than the game at the weekend.
0: Yeah, do do you think United should lower their asking price and and just allow Pogba to go in January? Would that just solve the problem far easier, or is that is that poor negotiation in, in the transfer market if they do
1: that? It, it would be understandable, but I suspect that. If there's a possibility of him having a good end to the season, and he has has that incentive in that there's a major tournament coming up in the summer, so he needs to have some momentum going into that. Um, I I suspect he's guaranteed of starting at the Euros, irrespective of how the rest of the season pans out. United, given um, his loyalty to Deschamps and vice versa. I think all of his caps have come under Deschamps. Deschamps has been the France coach that long, so I don't think there's any suggestion there that his place is in jeopardy or anything like that despite the you know how how formidable that France squad looks. But the the proof from a footballing perspective, you would say let him go next month, uh even though the ideal time would be to to let him go in the summer. And part of United must think, well, we can't cattel to what Rayolo has said and has obviously said, you know, he's got to go next month. That's the best case scenario. That's that would be best for For everyone, and I'd understand if an element of United was thinking that we can't bow to his wishes. We've we've got to sell him at the sensible time, which is the summer. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of United fans have said they should have sold him last year or this year. This this summer window coming up, if Popper is still at the club, is pretty much the only time they've the only chance they've had to sell him. In 2018, it was a no-go. Nobody was ever going to afford him that summer. And nobody came close to. In 2019, it was a similar situation, even though he tried to engineer something and roller tried to engineer something with uh, their public comments at the time. This year was absolutely no chance because of the pandemic as well. I think if there hadn't been a pandemic, he wouldn't be a United player at the moment. So 2021 has to be the time, especially given his contract situation as well. So I'm sure United will get a lot of flack from people saying they should have sold him two or three years ago, this, that and the other. But realistically, 2021 is the only year that has arisen where you've thought going into it that, yeah, this is the time to sell him and they should sell him really as well. Yeah, and
0: United being United, they'll probably inevitably get some flack for selling Paul Pogba, even though lots of pundits have been telling them telling sell him for the last three or four years. That's just uh, the circus that tends to surround United and and Paul Pogba as well. So we we found out, uh, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, we found out today uh, United's Europa League last 32 draw. I can hear the collective excitement from United fans listening and from you, Samuel, but here we are, United are in the Europa League. It's something, again, they're going to have to get used to. And they've been drawn against Real Sociedad, which is a tricky tie, isn't it, really? And a reunion with uh, a familiar face in Adnan Yanazai.
1: It's uh, it certainly warmed my uh, appreciation for the Europa League. I was dreading it when I heard that, that anthem. And they took about 15 minutes just to start the draw after the original time it was scheduled. But it's... It's a tie with subplots, as you say, with Yanazai, with with David Silva coming back to Manchester. Uh, San Sebastian looks a beautiful location. I mean, some of the guys were out there a few years ago in in the Moy season, which was the only time United played Real Sociedad. Um, and Some others actually went out, back out there. I think to um, to interview boys when, of course, he he took over as Real Sociedad coach as well. So I actually think it's probably the the standout tie from uh, from the draw. And there's there's a lot of interest in it as well. In the at the moment, Sociedad at the top of La Liga. Um, it's two teams in the upper echelons of two of the big five leagues in Europe. So it's, it's probably the best draw um, from, from a journalistic perspective uh, we could have hoped for, because there are some some really interesting narratives there to get stuck into, um, be it Yanazai or Silver, um, or even just like a... I remember our, our erstwhile colleague, Kieran Kelly, doing a really interesting piece on um, Griezmann's first appearance and, I think, indeed, only appearance at Old Trafford, which was with Sociedad, um, Back in 2013, when he hit the crossbar with a free kick, so uh, there is. As I said, I think when you when you can draw two teams together from two of the big five leagues, and given how well Sociedad are doing this season, that it's it doesn't feel like Europa League draw. It does feel like more of a Champions League draw. So uh, that's that's a, an immense relief given some of the other names that United could have been paired with. Absolutely, yeah. I think the,
0: some of the other names might have tested both of our spelling as well. But uh, I can endorse San Sebastian yeah, yeah. as a city, having gone there on holiday actually in uh, 2019. It is absolutely stunning and it should be a very interesting game. How do United approach the Europa League? They obviously don't want to be there, but do they do they go all out and try and win it Jose Mourinho style? Or is it a chance for Solskjaer to rest players and to, to rotate his squad? Or does that depend on maybe how the league campaign's going by February and when the Europa League
1: resumes? I think they have to go for it, really. Um, I mean, it, the, the league situation is surreal in that United are... Is it is it still five points off the top with with a game in hand, which mm. sounds, sounds very auspicious for this time of year, but another way of looking at it is that West Ham are five points off the top, Everton are five points off the top, Southampton are two points off the top. It's it's an extremely unusual season and gary neville did touch upon it in terms of the league situation how if you'd offered united that after 11 12 games the people at the club they'd have said yeah, that's that's brilliant you know we've we've made progress there but things just don't feel right um that the i mean that the home form and the away form are, are polar opposites and United have won six games out of 11 and when you only win that many, you shouldn't really by any right be as close as they are points-wise to to the top of the table. So, I I suspect this season between now and the end of it, there will never be a time where United are considered genuine title challengers. I just don't think they've got it in them. And in terms of the Europa League, they have to go for it and Solskjaer has to go for it. Uh, He's going to go over two years without a trophy just by virtue of of the time he came in. Um, I think those two ties are played. I think the second one is played the week of what is due to be the League Cup final. Um, and of course, United might be in that. So they've, they've got to try and go for all the trophies they can go for because as you've seen with Louis van Gaal before, you can win a trophy but not secure Champions League football and still get the sack. Um, if you've got trophies, plural, um, and, and you've got that top four or you haven't got top four, it's a more compelling argument for you to be kept on beyond the end of the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It will probably defend, depend on that league finish for United and whether they can sneak into the top four. should be an interesting period coming up as well with the, the festive fixture list and uh, how many games there are coming up for United. There's uh, obviously the Sheffield United game this Thursday night uh, at Bramall Lane, I think Samuel, it's going to be a, quite a different game to the the game between these two teams last year, which really sticks in the memory for oh, me. That yeah. chaotic, awful in many ways, but also exciting and brilliant three-all draw. Uh, how do you see this one on Thursday going
1: compared to that? Well, I was I was pretty smitten as soon as I uh, approached Bramall Lane last year, and, and inside the ground, it was just it was just marvellous, um, great atmosphere, probably the best best atmosphere uh, domestically Uh, United were involved in last season. And so just, just for that alone, it would be a shame if if they were to to get relegated. But this one does look like, I mean, if, if away bankers, uh, you know, if if you'd have an away banker in football, it would probably be this one. It's it's remarkable how Sheffield United's form has, has fallen off a cliff this season. I think they've lost 11 of their first 12 league games and, United have won all of their away games, so by by the rules of logic, it, it really should be a United away win. And C- Chris Wilder, I think, you saw how many changes he made at Southampton, how... I don't think they even improved. They they, they seem to actually get worse, Sheffield United. Um, he's running out of ideas. I think if Fulham had won, had held on beaten Liverpool, Sheffield United would almost have been in danger of being cut adrift there. Um... As it happens, because of the form of Burnley, Fulham and West Brom being as underwhelming as I think many might have expected, they're still in with a the shout there and a couple of wins and things can, can look very, very different. But United really should be winning this game. I mean, if, if they don't win that game, God forbid, from Solskjaer's point of view, they lose it. It would be pretty cataclysmic, even without a crowd there to um and to gauge the mood of, of match-going supporters or supporters in general. Uh, it's it's a game that, as I said, United should just be winning it. There, there are no excuses whatsoever. Um, I know Sheffield United have got to get going sooner rather than later, but to have lost all their home games at Bramall Lane, I think they're the team that have been affected by the lack of supporters more than any other. And the irony is, after the restart, they actually had a couple of very, very good home wins against Tottenham and Chelsea, I believe. I think one was they might have won one 3-0, and the other three one. Two excellent wins that were in keeping with their form last season. But like a lot of results we've seen over these last six months or so, I think you can just dismiss those two as just freakish, really. And since we've turned a page with the start of this season, um, it's almost as if reality is set in that no you're not going to have supporters back in Bramall Lane it's not going to be rocking um you're not going to have your pre-match chorus of um greasy chip butty isn't it? yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's 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 a sight to behold when they uh when they belt that out and unfortunately for Sheffield United they've been they've been completely thrown by that so yeah. As I said, I think United could even play pretty badly in this game and and win. I think as long as they concede first, they should be all right away from home. Obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah. They concede
0: first and they score four or five maybe, but it does feel like one of those where it's almost too too obvious, too easy that United win the game because of the the form, their away form, and Sheffield United's general form this season. But I'm going to ask you to stick your neck on the line and predict what may be one of the easier predictions of the season is this is this the case to a three goal margin victory
1: yeah I, I would say so I mean I, I am getting into the habit now within the blog giving a team sheet prediction because it's more accurate and having said on the Friday podcast that I thought City would win when it came to the team sheets dropping I called a draw for the derby yeah uh, but I suspect that my my opinion won't be changed even when the the teams drop at Bramwell Lane I, I'd, I'd say yeah
0: 3-0 United. Yeah, unless United accidentally field the under-18s by, by mistake, it, it, yes, you probably <laughs> should be on, on safe ground. But we'll see in the next edition of the podcast. Obviously, we'll review that game and there's, uh, there's festive games as well against Leeds and Leicester to look forward to as well and the Carabao Cup tie against Everton as well. So, lots to look forward to uh, for United after uh, an interesting week. Not uh, not so interesting at Manchester derby, but thanks, Sammy, for joining me today. Thank you very much. And we'll be back for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast very soon. Please leave us a like and a subscribe and get all the latest United news on the Manchester Evening News website. Thanks for listening.